You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young. We are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. We are here with Cindy Anderson from Think Strategy. She is a good friend, also a member of Built that we are members of. And let's talk a little bit about Think Strategy. Now, finding the right strategy for business is like standing at a five-point intersection and wondering which turn will take you where you want to go. The smartest thing to do is ask somebody who's been there before and then follow their directions. Think Strategy is that partner who will guide you down the path to make your business more successful. Their founder and CEO, Cindy, followed her own path of building and selling companies to get to where she is today. And she's here with us today on the Brand Builders Podcast to talk about those steps that she took to get to where she is now, provide some insight, give us some uh, some 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 more beef about Think Strategy, and honestly, I hopefully connect the dots to some people that are listening so that she can help your business as well. So we're so excited to, to get you on the podcast. I know this has been a long time coming, and uh, we're so excited to tell your story. So welcome, Cindy, to the Brand Builders Podcast. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you, Brian and Scott, for having me. We're really excited to be able to talk about uh, Think and our clients and what we're able to uh, provide in the marketplace. Really appreciate uh, the time. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. And it's what you do and your history is, is just fascinating to me. So you have a long, strong history in business. Tell us about how you got started. What was your first job? How did you find it? And uh, we'll go from there. That sounds great. You know, um, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up, when I went to college. So I just did what every uh, uh, unprepared student does. I just went to the school that I thought was the coolest to go to. And, uh, you know, that I knew that I that um, I would enjoy and then uh, looked at what they were strong in. And uh, I really struggled with uh, whether I wanted to be in finance or I wanted to be in psychology and sociology. I loved understanding how the mind works. But um, <laughs> the really sophisticated decision-making process was I decided to major in finance and minor in social science because I thought I could make more money being in finance, which is probably true. But, um, you know, what happens to us all is as we emerge out of college life and get into real life, we realize that loving your job and loving what you do every day is very important. So I was very fortunate to uh, begin my career in finance and corporate finance and uh, went back to school and uh, received my 150 hours to become uh, be able to sit for the CPA exam and went into public accounting. But really, I've spent most of my career in corporate finance. I was very fortunate to go to work for some really great companies early on that saw something in me and they uh, really helped me grow. And uh, over time, I realized that even though finance was something that I was fairly good at and I really enjoyed um, the work, what I, I never lost sight or never lost the appetite for understanding how people and organizations think. And what's really nice when you're a finance person is you get to see all aspects of the organization. But I soon realized I probably wasn't your stereotypical uh, finance person that really is just focused on the numbers. But I really love looking at how does marketing do what they do? How do we go to market? What is our brand in the market? What are all these things? You know, how do we treat our employees? How do we build a culture? All of those things kind of intersected to me. And I realized 
that the best companies out there were the ones that actually understood that there's not just one aspect of a business. It's not just the bottom line. It's everything. People enjoying what they do, being able to really um, add value to your clients. So um, although I am a CPA, I always say that I'm a recovering CPA because really what I love is strategy. How do you get to, when you're at that intersection and you're looking at all the directions that you can take, why would you take a certain direction? Where's your passion and how do you get there? So I uh, spent the better part of uh, the early stages of my career, um, you know, developing that business acumen, working with some amazing companies, amazing people that really took an interest in my career, my development. And um, we... I became CFO of an architectural firm in the 90s and became an owner there and involved in a lot of the other companies that they were involved with and became a partner in those real estate investment deals and different things came along as we went. And I soon realized that there was a real need in the marketplace for people who were finance professionals that really understood the other aspects of the business, that there was, that wasn't necessarily everybody's uh, I guess, value that they were bringing to the table that were in finance. So I started a CBA firm in the 2000s that focused on the professional services industry. We mainly worked with architects, engineers, con contractors, consult, uh, you know, large uh, GC firms. We worked with a lot of uh, real estate brokers and developers and uh, technology companies that were somehow associated with the real, real property. So we, uh, that niche was really interesting. At first, uh, I wasn't sure if anyone would really care that we had that kind of niche, but we soon realized absolutely was a differentiator for us in the marketplace. So my CBA firm uh, grew and grew. It was a very um, interesting business. And in 2008, I uh, actually joined RSM. They purchased the firm. I came on uh, with them and it was a great transition. I had never worked for a public accounting firm that was that large. So I had the opportunity to go all over the world. Uh, I worked in uh, 26 countries and in my career. I've, I've seen a lot of transactions over the years. But one of the things that really became evident to me when I was in uh, large public accounting is everything was a transaction. It wasn't about the relationship as much as it was about the transaction itself and moving on to the next transaction, next transaction. And although I think there's a huge need for that, that just didn't that wasn't who I was. I like working with those middle market businesses. And, you know, I love working with all size companies. I think they're interesting. The only ones that I probably am not really designed for are startups, just because you have to have a certain amount of need for strategy in order to, and in startup mode, you're just trying to get it going, right? <laughs> and there are people who are really good at that. Uh, but I really, when I finished my transition with uh, RSM, uh, they're still a great firm. I love them very much, but I had a more of a five-year deal to work with them. When I when that was finished, I said, you know, I really just want to take a step back and figure out what is it that I want to provide the marketplace. I'm positioned, I'm well positioned to do whatever makes me happy, right? So, what is it that would that I think really would add value? And from that is how Think Strategy was born. We I started Think Strategy in 2013. And the primary reason for doing it was to help companies achieve the results they want to achieve in their own way. 
So how do we, we develop customized strategies? Not something you get from a book from someone who works with 20 companies that look just like you and everybody does it the same way, but your culture, your company, how do you really want to grow it? What do you want to get from it? So Think Strategy does really three things. Um, we focus on general strategy, strategic planning, go-to-market strategy, financial performance improvement strategies, operational strategies. We have an amazing team of professionals. The name Think was very uh, intentional. Um, it actually, uh, a really wonderful marketing firm helped us come up with the name. The idea was a think tank for our clients and to focus on companies. So INC kind of incorporated and then think using a play on that. Our, our notion was that we would be able to provide all kinds of consulting services and we would pull in professionals from all over and that have all kinds of different experiences and really be able to provide our clients with an advisory team that really takes them to the next level. So that's one aspect of our business. The other aspect is our outsourcing group. We have a group of CPAs and financial professionals on our team. And so when a client has a need for um, accounting outsourcing or financial leadership, CFO, controller level, um, and they don't necessarily need that all of the, you know, full time on site, but they need it on a regular basis. So we have an entire team that focuses on that. That team also does a lot of due diligence efforts and helps with a lot of our mergers and acquisitions uh, transactions. And then the third leg of our school is really the ownership leadership transition. It, you know, how do you transition your business for success? It doesn't have to look one way. You don't just have to sell your company when you're ready to retire to you know, the highest bidder out in the marketplace. There's all kinds of options. You can do that. Um, about 50% of our mergers and acquisitions clients are acquirers, and we help them find businesses to buy. But the other 50% are sellers. And many times those sellers don't want to sell to a third party. Um, they don't have to sell to a third party. They have an internal team. So we help them to decide how would they sell their company? Is a third party the best option? Is a, an internal option a better option? Is an ESOP a good option? Um, and we really help them through that process. And what is very important in any kind of transition, whether you're talking about a growth transition or an ownership transition or a leadership transition, which is really where our focuses are, you have to really consider uh, the culture of your business, your goals, your financial goals, but also the legacy that you want to leave behind. Yeah, I heard you mention, um, you know, you you work with middle markets. And I'm curious, is there a, a, a revenue minimum that you like to work with or where it starts to make sense for your type of services? You know, it's a great question. And we... I run into that question a lot. I would say that um, our sweet spot is probably above five million, just because. And and it, you know, our largest client was three hundred and seventy-five million. So we've done everything, and we but we have some sophisticated companies that are lower than the five million dollar revenue. Its goal. It's really where do you want to go? So some of the industries that we work in that maybe it's a niche market and it's a company that's small right now, but it has a very sophisticated team and a really interesting idea. And we can take it to a larger scale and grow them to 50 million or 75 million or whatever. Then we love to work on that because that's fun for us. Right. But um, typically there is at least uh, a maturity the company needs to be in so that it actually has the resources and the team in place or could secure them in place 
in order to go to that next level. So if it's a, you know, the startups are always kind of hard because in those you're just in survival mode usually in the beginning, unless you're a sophisticated startup that maybe you've done this before or you're a team that's going to market. I love that you you talk about um, developing a customized solution for each business and not everybody has the same goals of, oh, well, we're a $5 million company and we want to be $50 million. Right. You talk more about culture. You talk about growth, performance, succession, whatever you're looking for. My question to you is, um, you, you know, you started this business 2013, 2012, 2013. I don't know. Um, and and two now. So let's say seven years. You look at people coming out of college in seven years, what they want or what they demand is a lot different than when it was when I went out of college. I just mm-hmm. wanted a paycheck, a 401k and health insurance. I didn't That's care right. about community involvement and don't take that the wrong way, but it didn't matter to me who you, where your money went. It didn't matter to me, you know, how many off days we were going to get to volunteer. Uh, it didn't matter to me about, you know, specifically the divi- divi- ugh, diversity of that business. But now a lot of that is different. You look at, 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 um, at kids coming out of school that would rather take a pay cut or make less to work with an organization that is more aligned with their core values. So with that in mind, how has that changed the way that you do business? Or is that really a driving factor in why think is different? Because you do provide insightful strategies with measurable results while customizing that approach to whatever they're really going after. It's such a great question because it has changed. Boy, has it evolved since I started. I remember I I had a boss once that said, don't bother coming in on Sunday if you can't come in on Saturday, you know, and, and I really. I <laughs> wow. That. Damn. Scott, don't get that idea. Don't get that idea. <laughs> yeah. and it, it is. It has definitely evolved. And I think there's so many great things about it because the use of technology the ability to work remotely. Can you imagine having gone through the COVID crisis 15 years ago? Yeah. I mean, it would have been a game changer. It, you know, obviously it's been disruptive to all businesses, but a lot of our clients have navigated this so well because they have the technology in place to be able to work remotely, to still be able to use Teams and Zoom and go to meeting and all these other great tools to still be able to collaborate. It's not perfect. We want, we all think, I think we're all starving for a little bit more human interaction right now that's face to face. But at the same time, um, those are, you know, when, when I look at what we interview a lot of people and because part of our process is to do an assessment and we interview a lot of key stakeholders. And what I will tell you is the number one thing that people care about right now, particularly young professionals, is the type of work they're going to do and how it impacts their world. They have a more global view than I ever had as a young person. And so that all factors in. We want to understand what matters to you, what matters to where you're going. And in a non-judgmental way, if I sit down with someone and they say, hey, at the end of the day, all that really matters to me is the bottom line. Okay, well, let's go forward and think about that. Yeah, How do we get there? But many times we have the same, you know, later we have the conversation, you know, you can improve your bottom line by caring about these things that these younger professionals maybe care about that will help them feel more loyal to your brand, help them really take your brand to the market because they care about that. So it's working in all those changes. And every every year, I'm always amazed when I look back at how smart 
these young professionals are and how just m- so much more aware <laughs> than I was at their age. And so it's Internet. really important to us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, I have a question, um, and that, that was a great answer. Do you... You mentioned this where um, you have companies that are, or let's say you have principals that are like, I want to grow, I want to grow, I want to grow. And, yeah. and you kind of say, hey, let's back up. Let's talk about culture. Let's talk about making sure that we are a, an organization that people want to work at, because that's the biggest challenge is you have to have people that want to work there and ultimately stay there and grow and right. get your return on investment from an employee standpoint. Do you have any, uh, you know, case studies? You don't have to go into a specific company, but maybe just some insight into some organizations that maybe didn't think about that. They were only looking at the books and only looking at how they can save cost and then drive more revenue. And ultimately, you challenge them on, well, hey, let's get the culture right. And then that developed into probably a bigger business with more income than they ever could imagine. I think it happens more often than not. Um, It's not so much that people don't care about it, but they don't realize that it has to be an overt conversation. Because many times when we go in, we'll ask about culture always with the the person that we're talking with. It's usually an owner. Um, Almost always it's an owner or an owner group that we're working with. And uh, we'll ask them about their culture. And we have uh, five very open-ended questions that we always ask. Uh, The first one is, tell me about your company. Who are you? And I love that question because usually the follow-up to that from them is, what do you want to (laughs) know? And and my answer is, whatever you want to tell me. Because that tells me so much. Like if, if someone's telling me just whatever is top of their mind, it tells me a lot, right? But then when we go to talk to their key employees that they want us to talk with and that sort of thing, we ask the exact same first question. Tell me who it is. And what we're looking for is, do they say the same thing? Is it different? And then, of course, our next question is typically, well, tell me where you want to be in five years, 10 years. Where do you want to be? You're here today. This is what you've told me. But where do you want to be down here? That tells us a significant amount about what they're willing to do too, because the follow-up questions are, they kind of drill down into whatever they've said. And so we really look for, do the owners understand the culture that they are in the process of either creating or have already created? Is it aligned with the rest of the organization? Because all of us, including me as a business owner, we just don't always know what everybody thinks of us, right? We just don't have insight into it day to day. Uh, Many times, especially as we get larger, it's very difficult to know um, how folks are feeling. So we spend a lot of time um, because most organizations, once we get into the conversation about culture, it doesn't take very long for business owners to go, yeah, yeah, that's why those people don't speak up and they have these, they don't tell us their innovative ideas. You know, we'll have uh, companies talk about case studies, we'll have companies that'll say, nobody ever speaks up. I do all the talking in the staff meetings and I really want people to bring me ideas, but I feel like I'm the only one who ever has an idea. Well, that's probably not the case. There probably are people who have ideas, but it's how do we now draw it out of them? How do we look for the superstars? Or how are you recruiting your people? You know, are you surrounding yourself with people who just always say yes to you because that's easier? Or are you looking for people who are disruptors who really are, you know, too much disruption is difficult, but sometimes you need a disruptor on the team that says, hey, 
what about this? You know, and they come up with this crazy idea that ends up being a real game changer in how you're going to grow. What's the percentage? And this might be a scary result here, but <laughs> what's the percentage? And this is just kind of ballpark of organizations where the leadership, the owners have the same answer as the employees when it comes to what is our culture? Because I have a feeling we're not going to like the answer of this percentage. <laughs> but I think it it's might be a humbling. I think answer. it's opening yeah, for yeah, business yeah, yeah. owners because you need to ask yourself that question. If you own a business and you're listening to this, is your core values, your culture, what you think about your organization the same as your employees? And if it isn't, that's that's the number one thing you need to change or you're not going to grow or get to anywhere that you want to get to. That's right. Unless you're making wi widgets on a production right, line. Yeah, it's right. very hard. Exactly. Right. And uh, absolutely. I'll answer it this way. Yeah. <laughs> in 100% of the cases, <laughs> including if it were my own, we've had consultants come in and do the same thing for us because, you know, the cobbler and the shoes story. Um, but we actually, um, I would say 100% of the time, owners are surprised at what people will say. It's not necessarily that there's a, I wouldn't say that it's uh, frequent that people are just completely disaligned or unaligned, if that's a word, mm -hmm. um, you know, out of alignment. But I definitely believe that there's always a surprise. There's always something that gets said. For example, sometimes when we ask the question, tell us about your company, sometimes they're surprised that people don't know how to articulate who the company is. And that's shocking. It's like, my gosh, the values are painted up on the wall. How do they not know who we are? You know? yeah. <laughs> At the same time, it's, you know, have we taught them how to talk about this when someone asks that 30 second elevator speech or whatever. And so I would say most of the time people are surprised and sometimes, which is really fascinating to me, they're even surprised how aligned they really are, but they're using different words. Right. And sometimes they learn a lot about what their company, who their company is through their employees in a positive way. Like, wow, I never thought about us that way. But that's really cool that we think that about ourselves. And so I would say 100 percent of the time there's a surprise in there somewhere. <laughs> Do you find that owners are in the weeds often and struggling to get to a level where they can sort of have bigger picture thought process and not be dealing with every little thing, every little email that comes in. Is that a part of your business, getting them to a level where, you know, building out a team where they have those systems in place where they can actually focus on the business and then, you know, go and have the time to manage and build their team and get to know their team and talk to them individually and spend that time doing that versus responding to 100 emails in a day? No, without a doubt, especially the first generation owner. That's really one of the hardest things in the world. Most of us don't go into business to run a business. No, we don't. <laughs> most of us go in, right? So most of us go into the business because we're good at something and we can sell it, right? right. And so because we're good at it and we can sell it, then we open a business. Then you get, then you hire an employee or two or three or 10 and 20, 30, 50, 100, 1,000, whatever. And you start to realize that, uh, or you hope that the owner eventually realizes that um, running the business is their primary responsibility or they need to hire someone to do that for them. So we have a lot of times we have owners who realize, I don't want to run this anymore. 
that's why I want to sell it, for example, or that's why I want to grow it is because if I grow it, then it'll be bigger and I don't, I'll have a lot more resources. But the reality is they're the ones that are in their own way of letting go. Right. And we're all guilty of that. I definitely am. If I'm under stress, I'm getting into the weeds and I have to remind myself, I have to give, I give my employees permission to say, you're in the weeds. Can you back up? <laughs> get out of here. Uh, you get, get, away, get out of the room because I can do this better without you. Which right. is always true. <laughs> and right. so for me, I think that um, most entrepreneurial entrepreneurs, uh, that first generation, really struggle with running the business versus working in the business uh, and deciding, if, are, do they really want to run it? You know, it's okay if the answer is I can own this thing, but I don't have to run it. And there are ways to um, continue owning. Like we have had many clients that say, I want to sell, I want to sell, I want to sell. But when we were finished with our work, they didn't want to sell the business at all. They just didn't want to be the CEO. They just didn't want to run it. And so we were able to accomplish a really good compromise that really worked for them in the long run. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, talk about this with other business owners. It can sometimes be a lonely place, right? (laughs) because you're dealing with issues constantly that you may or may not be able to communicate with everyone else you know it might be a personal issue it might be with someone else on your team or or whatever it is but i don't know there's all kinds of challenges i'm just curious it sounds like you all have solutions and help consult get people out of that sort of scenario Um, absolutely you know one of the things scott that we see a lot is an owner will say to me i would never say this to anyone else sometimes i don't want to come to work every day (laughs) i i don't even want to be here so why should everybody else want to be here and because it is a lonely place um most of us again we don't go into it because we want to run a business we go into it because we do what we do really well um and what ends up happening many times is we get so far away from what we love about what we're doing, or we think that our employees are not going to respect us if we're not, we aren't super knowledgeable about everything that they're doing. The reality is there comes a point when you can't know as much how to, you know, for our uh, AE clients, you know, the uh, drafting or using technology, many times they can't use the technology today because they have gotten so far away from it, but many of them feel like they're supposed to. And, um, you know, you're not necessarily supposed to when you're in a different role in the organization. But I think another thing that a lot of owners really get hung up on is just feeling like they're supposed to be everything to everybody all the time. We have families too. We have things that go on in our lives, you know, and so at the end of the day, We have to give ourselves a little bit of a break and really take advantage and have great people around us that are actually even smarter than we are. They just don't want to own a company, maybe, or maybe they want to own some portion of it, but they don't want to be the head of it. But really let them be great at what they do. So we really try to work with folks, too, to pull the best out of the people that are around them, but also identify maybe what's missing. Um, you know, what do you not have that would be really nice to have that would really take some of the stress off of you every day? really interesting yeah i love it so your background is 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 awesome i think everyone if you're listening to this go find cindy on uh, linkedin and check it out but you worked your way up to a cfo of an architecture and real estate development company just seven years after starting your career and you did a lot of that um 
you know, specifically in kind of that real estate construction world. We're both members of Built, and you recently at the uh, 2020 um, Built National Convention, you led a panel on women in real estate in construction. Tell us, you know, number one, you're obviously a role model to to women, to to anyone really that, you know, wants to go live their dreams and, and, and achieve things that, you know, when you were in the industry probably wasn't happening. There probably weren't a lot of women that were in those roles. Now, luckily, we're seeing more and more uh, diversity from that standpoint. But I thought it was fascinating when you led that panel on women in real estate. We just had Lauren Brimmer on from Tyler 2 Construction, uh, another woman-owned business here locally in Charlotte. Um, tell us what, what it means to kind of be that leader, but also Ultimately, um, you know, what what do you do to try to drive, um, you know, motivation and what do you what do you do when you tell, you know, younger people and, and kind of be that mentor about, you know, really, you know, live your dream, do what you want to do. And it's just kind of fascinating how you've you've done that and you've sold probably, I don't know, six or seven companies, which is Unbelievable. What are you like 32 years old? Are you kidding me? Right. Yeah, yeah, Good I like Lord. I like 31. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I, I need to get back to work. All right. I, gotta, I really yeah, appreciate no. that. <laughs> you know, first of all, I want to say that panel of women, they were amazing. Mm-hmm. And to, uh, to facilitate that discussion was a privilege. Um, because you're right. When I started my career, um, I just share with you CPAs, you know, 51% of us uh, that graduated with an accounting or finance or some other type of degree, um, 51% of the graduating class might be women, but only about 8% make it to partner in a CPA firm. So what happens is, you know, people make choices and I don't necessarily have a strong opinion about the choices that people make. But when I, when I work with a younger person as their mentor, the one thing I really try to help them understand is everything comes with a consequence, right? So if you want to take off and have a family and take some time off to, to do that, it just means that your career may take longer for you to advance. It doesn't mean you have to give it up. If you don't want to, you can come back into it, but it, you're giving it up some portion. Maybe if you're wanting to go part-time or have a flexible schedule, There may be some, you know, may take a little bit longer, but at the end of the day, don't hate what you do every day. If you get to the place where you hate what you do, you're not going to be good for anybody. It's not fair to the clients that your company serves. It's not fair to the owners that take that, that employ you and, and provide a, you know, a space for you in their office. But also, why live a life where you're not happy? Amen. No kidding. Amen. What you want to do. So, you know, for me, I always feel like I kind of fell into it. I just kept being like, I don't want to do that. So let me try this. And what I discovered is every time I wanted to try to really break out of my shell and move into a different direction, there was always a mentor there to help me. So I really looked for people. Who could I emulate? Who's already done this? How can I you know, glean from them? And my biggest discovery was if you ask people to help you, they will. I, I mean, very, very rarely will someone say, I don't have time for you. I'm not going to give you you know, 30 minutes of my time to answer some of your questions, especially young people. When you're up and coming, it's such an honor to be asked to be someone that mentor. Um, and so I really want people in and we say this to our clients all the time that are thinking about selling their business because they just don't enjoy it anymore. Let's 
let's peel the onion here. Why don't you enjoy it anymore? You know, what is it? Can we can we pivot just like we did with COVID? Can we pivot right. a little bit and say, how are we going to do this differently? And will that change the game? And in almost every case, it does. In some cases, people just, it's they've done it. They loved it. They don't want to do it anymore. They want to go ahead and take their financial reward and go on and do something else. And that's a perfectly good answer, too. But I, I always hate to see people run away from a career. When I think about finance, for me, yes, I'm a CPA. I still keep my license. I always feel like it's a good plan B in case I need to do, <laughs> do that again. But at the end of the day, it also provided me a platform of understanding businesses in a way. When I look at a balance sheet, I can tell so much about the business, even the culture of the business. It's fascinating because of what those numbers tell me. I would never have gained that kind of knowledge had I not started my career in finance. And so I think that it's looking at everything you do, every step you take as an advantage to get you to where you want to go. It's not, you know, if you do something and it doesn't work out and you don't enjoy it, you thought you would. So what? You gain something from it. You learn something new. And so I really believe that we all have to be lifetime learners and we all have to be curious. If we're curious, we're going to be achievers. Love that. My what favorite, a great answer. My favorite stuffed yeah. animal as a kid was Curious George, and um, yes. Now, <laughs> now my son is obsessed with Curious George, and I'm like, you know what? That's awesome. So that, that was a that was a great answer. Uh, one of our our best friends is Amy Sullivan Hicks, who recently became the president of ABC Carolina. And she's so, awesome. Yeah, she is. We love and Amy. She's the definition of somebody that loves what she does. She does the right thing. She helps other people. She connects dots. And she's now been rewarded with the opportunity to lead that organization. And I couldn't, I mean, I, I couldn't personally choose somebody better. So it's amazing um, to see not just women, anybody just do what they do and, and love what they do. You talked a minute about if you don't love what you do, then don't do it. And, and you could be failing the people that own it. The, the biggest thing is you're failing yourself. You know, like yeah. there's, there's no reason to wake up every morning and say, oh, I got to go to my job. Like. No amount of money will make you happy if you hate your job. It does. It, That's exactly impossible, right. Impossible. Absolutely. And, you know, I have a son. He's he's grown now and out on his own. We're empty nesters. But I always felt like if I'm unhappy in what I do, what am I teaching him? Exactly. Right. Because he's a little sponge. He He's looking at me and seeing and, and uh, so proud that he's not going to settle for what he doesn't love. He wants to find that thing that really drives what he's passionate about. And the reality is that. If I look back when I was 20 years old, what I was passionate about is very different than today, right. right? I have very different goals and ambitions. So that's the other thing is be okay with change. You know, change isn't always bad. Yeah. Um, it, it's sometimes scary in the beginning, but when you start breaking it down, it, it doesn't have to be too scary. Cindy, that's amazing. Um, you want to say something right there? No, I was just curious. Oh. But before we, we got on the podcast, you mentioned you've had a great year. I'm, yes. I'm curious as to what I'm sure there's a ton of things that tie into making it a great year. But is there a number one thing that, that you can think of that that says why your year was good with even with with COVID? With COVID? I hope that um, that it's because we do think outside the box. And I think so many people were uncertain and are still uncertain about where we're going and what's happening, um, you know, with everything going on in the world today. There's so much change. And I think that what 
our team has done really well is continue to think outside the box. Okay, if that doesn't work, then how are we going to pivot? And we immediately decided that we just weren't going to be afraid of this. We were in business. We were going to be in business. We were going to be open for business, even if we had to isolate. And we 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 really pivoted quickly and a testament to our team. It really was not me. It was the team that really did that. And I think uh, for me, uh, just staying open to possibilities instead of seeing obstacles is so important to growth in a business. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's what our team did this year is we really just stayed open to what can we do? What can we help with? How can we? And then our clients reached out and 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 told other people about us. Hey, call them. They know about this PPP funding and what it's going to mean to your business. Call them up. They can help you out. And so I think that was really the secret this year is that we just decided that we were going to think outside the box and we were going to not be afraid. Love it. That's a great answer. I, I think there's a lot of people that will be interested in to, to get in touch with you. Uh, I just think you bring a unique approach um, to supporting and being that type of consultant, but also you're like a customized consultant. It's not like this is the way we're going to do it. It's like, let's peel back the onion. Let's figure it out. Let's develop a plan. And I think that's what it takes to be successful in, in business, especially during COVID. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people right now that are going, okay, where do I go to now? Like, how do I plan 2021? Like, what are we going to do? Um, so that's where you guys come into play. Uh, I love the name, love what you've been able to develop. Uh, look forward to following that. If we do have business owners that are listening that are interested, what is the best way to get in touch with you and your team? Oh, thank you so much. We would love to talk to anyone, uh, that, you know, we, Really appreciate um, our clients and are so grateful to work with the most amazing people in the world. And the best way to reach me is my cell phone number, 910-512-1420. Our website, uh, thinkstrategy.com and think is spelled with a C. Um, we uh, really, that's always a great way to um, just check us out. And uh, there's a contact us. And then, of course, uh, the main business line you can always call as well. And that's 980 980- Fantastic. Thank you so much for investing your time with us today. It was great to see you. Thank you. So good to see you guys. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Until next time, you are listening to the Brand Builders Podcast. Thank you, Cindy, for joining us so much. Best of luck uh, to the future and best of luck to every organization that you help. I think it's going to be awesome to continue to follow your journey. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Same to you. Same to you. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.